BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. iHeartRadio presents Inside the Studio. I'm your host, Joe Levy. Now, this episode was recorded in London, where I spent some of my time doing exactly what Americans in London usually do, eating fish and chips, drinking beer, and walking by Buckingham Palace while silently playing the Sex Pistols God Save the Queen inside my head. But I also got to spend some time pretty far off the tourist track, talking with Niall Horan about his new album, Heartbreak Weather, and his upcoming tour with Louis Capaldi. I met up with Niall at his rehearsal space, where I heard him and his band run through some pinpoint harmonies for the excellent new song, Everywhere, which is about being haunted by the memory of an ex you know, seeing that face everywhere you go. Except everywhere doesn't sound haunted. It's up-tempo and full of guitars that are headed straight towards the rafters. Niall has said Heartbreak Weather has some sad songs dressed up as happy songs, and everywhere sounds like one of those. As Niall told me when we sat down to talk, Heartbreak Weather is sort of a concept album. It charts the course of a relationship... So it starts with three totally over-the-top love songs. I mean, one of them imagines looking back on a marriage from age 65. And it ends with two songs about holding on to feelings for someone who's no longer there. In between come some songs about hookups, like Small Talk and Nice to Meet You, and some about breakups, like Put a Little Love on Me. Niall wanted to make a breakup album, but a different kind of breakup album. 
one that had shifting points of views where most breakup albums can be selfish. They're always kind of like, I'm sitting at home, you've made me so sad. And there is songs on the album which are like that. Now, I have a song called Arms of a Stranger on there that is literally like, you left me with nothing, now I'm lying in the arms of a stranger. And then there's also songs that I've written from different sides of it where it's about them. It might sound like it's about me, but I've written it about them. Heartbreak Weather is Niall's second album. His first, Flicker, came out in 2017. But at 26, he's already been a pop star for a full decade. That's how long it's been since he tried out for X Factor UK, didn't make the cut as a solo artist, but got put in a group with four other guys. That group, of course, was One Direction. And for six years and five albums, One Direction was pop music's juggernaut. Their first four albums debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. No other group had done that before. And they put 14 songs in the top 10 of the Hot 100 chart, four of which went to number one. When the group went on hiatus and the 1D guys started putting out solo albums, Zayn Malik in 2016, Harry Styles, and Niall in 2017, those went to number one too. You can pick your completely inappropriate comparison point, but it's hard to think of a group that spawned this kind of solo success outside of the Beatles or... NWA, neither of whom ever sang a chart-topping mashup of Blondie's One Way or Another and the undertone's Teenage Kicks. As that should have made clear, One Direction were closer to a power-pop group than a pure-pop product, except 1D was pegged as a boy band by a world that is not long on respect for super-catchy music made by cute boys who rose to fame through television shout out to the monkeys, and especially is not long on respect when you can barely hear that music over the screams of stadiums full of young women. But whether you liked them or not, and I did, One Direction were something special. Think of them as the Pixar of pop music, both assembled by teams of professional fun makers working together to invent new tricks for an established medium, both relying on state-of-the-art techniques charged up by a combination of super smarts and super heightened emotions, happy and sad, both packed with bright colors and humor that dazzles kids, but also full of bits aimed at the parents. I mean, that's how I always heard the classic rock riffs embedded in 1D songs. The Who's Baba O'Reilly in Best Song Ever or The Clash's Should I Stay or Should I Go in While We're Young or Def Leppard's Pour Some Sugar on Me in Midnight Memories, Journeys Faithfully in Steal My Girl, Queen's We Will Rock You in Rock Me. Or at least that's how I heard them before Harry Styles and Niall released their first albums, both of which were heavily indebted to the classic rock California singer-songwriter sound of the 1970s, albeit in very different ways. Harry came off more like a Nilsson, weirdo, studio-obsessive, and Niall more like James Taylor, heartbroken, trying to get over it. Although both of them sounded like they'd crashed a Fleetwood Mac recording session. Niall has said he's known how he wanted that first album to sound since he was a kid playing Bob Dylan and Beatles covers in Irish pubs for older patrons. But for the new Heartbreak Weather, he was a little more free with the process and the sound, a little less worried about it sounding like something that came before. So maybe it ended up sounding a little more like him. 
A song like No Judgment started out with him playing around with a riff that reminded him of an old John Mayer song, Neon, but it became something different once he put a 2020 groove under it. Niall talked with me about starting writing while he was recovering from sinus surgery and also getting over a breakup, about recording at a studio in the Bahamas that has a champagne bottle vending machine, and about what it's like to stand in front of 15,000 people and sing about your feelings. Here's what else he had to say. Now, welcome to Inside the Studio. Very, very welcome to London, you are. And uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. So let's start with the album title. What is Heartbreak Weather? Where did the phrase come from? What does it mean? And, and how does the weather change? It's been raining here for about two weeks, so it doesn't change that often. Um, Heartbreak Weather kind of came from... Uh, I wanted to write like a, a breakup album, but not very selfishly. When you write breakup albums, they all tend to be very selfish <laughs> sounding. Like very, you know, all about you and how sad you are instead of thinking about other people. So I, when I was writing down ideas for it, I was just kind of thinking, how do I, how do I write all the different feelings? Because it's not always like sad or it's, there's happy days as well when you go through a breakup and there's feelings that you shouldn't feel, you know, um, and you do, you do it. And Heartbreak Weather was just something I wrote down. And the minute I wrote down, I was like, this has now become a concept, a concept album. Because now I can write different feelings and relate them to different weather patterns. So I was like, you know, if it's a sunny song, it's going to be a little bit more egotistical. And if it's a ballad, it's going to be a little bit stormy and rainy. And that kind of helped me stick with the concept. So from minute one, the album was always going to be called Heartbreak Weather. And when you say breakup albums can be selfish, mm. do you mean... Only from one point of view, you're not thinking about the other person. In a way, yeah. They're always kind of like, I'm sitting at home, you've made me so sad. And there is songs on the album which are like that. Now, I have a song called Arms of a Stranger on there that is literally like, you left me with nothing, now I'm lying in the arms of a stranger. And then there's also songs that I've written from different sides of it where, you know, there's, it's about them. It might sound like it's about me, but I've written it about them, you know, or... So even though you're speaking from the first person, you might actually be coming from the other point of view. Yeah, so sometimes it might sound like I'm saying something, but I've actually just, in terms of the heartbreak weather concept, I was writing from a different point of view, or... There's just different songs for different angles, and I'll probably have to explain it at some point, but just once you know that every song is not about me and how selfish I am then it'll help. <laughs> you talked about the different moods. Two of the first songs we heard, Nice to Meet You, mm-hmm. Put a Little Love on Me. Mm-hmm. Those are very different moods. One's yeah. very interior and one's really about going out on the town. Yeah, literally. That, that was, that's kind of the heartbreak weather thing again. You know, the egotistical one in Nice to Meet You comes out and makes a load of noise and go, talks about going around London on the tear and then Put a Little Love on Me is a piano ballad writ- you know, written with the rain bashing against the window and, you know, in the hills of Hollywood. It's kind of like, you know, it's a, they're two contrasting things and that's kind of the, the theme across the, across the album. And of course, Heartbreak Weather itself, the title track, you're really singing about being on the other side of the, the Heartbreak Weather, right? You know, the sun's come up. It's a, I mean, it's a love song, right? Yeah, yeah, no. In terms of the track listing of the album, I wanted to tell the story from the start of the relationship through the relationship, the feelings you might have within the relationship and then out the back and how you feel. Um, and you'll see that 
if you listen to the album throughout um heartbreak weather is kind of like what it was it was all sleepwalk living and it's been hardship it's been heartbreak weather it's been sleepwalk living up until this point and now i met you that's how the album kicks off black and white was one for me where i was kind of like trying to go nostalgic and be thinking like when i was 15 and got my first girlfriend it was like that's it marrying you you know, and that's why I was trying, I had the title black and white and I was thinking, how do I make it different? And that's what happens when you first get with someone and you're in that honeymoon period. It's black and white. It's crystal clear. The whole <laughs> world is, is black and white to you. Yeah. It's, it's this or that. And the this in that song is I'm completely in love. You're imagining at one point when you're 65 years old and the two of you are together. Yeah, I just kind of like was thinking, how, I had the title and I was just running with it and I was thinking, how do you change this? And I was kind of thinking like, when you were a kid and the first person you meet, you're like, I'm going to marry you. And then I was kind of like, you know, thinking of a wedding scenario and the black being the suit and the, the white being the dress. Oh, so the top of the wedding cake. The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the bride and groom in black and white. I see us and, you know, I see us in black and white, crystal clear on a starlit night. And it's kind of like very nostalgic thinking. And, you know, that honeymoon period when you first get with someone and it's like, this is it. You hear the first few songs you've released, particularly Put a Little Love on Me, mm. you, and, and you... Think about the album title, Heartbreak Weather. Mm. People may get the impression that this is a sad breakup album, yeah. but those first three songs, they're about falling in love. And the, the third one, we talked about the first two, the third one, Dear Patience, you, you, the singer or you are telling yourself, slow down. Let, let's, try, let's try not to get to the altar before we've uh, gotten yeah. to the bedroom almost. Yeah, because these are all the things that go on in your head. Like when, you're, when you start a relationship, you're like, I really, I really like you. This is probably going to work, but if I slow down a bit and be a bit more patient, I'll probably make the best of it. So that's where Dear Patience came from. And it's kind of like literally writing a letter to patience, the feeling of patience and like telling yourself, all right, this time, don't F it up. <laughs> um, and just be patient with it because it could be really good if you let it. How did the process, the songwriting and recording process change between the first record, Flickr, and the second record? This one was a bit more, I found a bit more off the cuff, like um, in terms of the recording. Like I'd last, the last album I was in was full band in the room, playing everything f completely live and then doing overdubs and stuff. But this album I found like I was just kind of, I just said I'd go and write songs so I could, they could happen anywhere. You know, I was just writing songs. Some of them were written at home. Some of them were written in the studio and then we'd kind of play instruments as we were going. Um, a lot of this album was kind of done at home, really, to be honest, written. Because my idea was that I would just write songs and then dress them up however I feel production-wise later on. Just write the song first. Because before, I kind of pigeonholed myself a touch. I, you know, I was straight away I was noodling away, playing like finger-picky type stuff, which straight away sends you down the alley of, okay, now we're writing a folk song. And that's what I kind of did to myself on the first album. I mean, in hindsight, the album did really well, so I can't complain. But, you know, I know what I need to do next time. And this time I just wanted to just go in, write the song, and then whatever happens afterwards, we'll make a decision on that later. The first album isn't all finger-picking folk yeah, yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got some big pop songs on it. But this one I heard, unafraid of pop, unafraid of R&B, unafraid of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. I listened to this one and I thought, oh, yeah, he's, he's got his swagger back. Yeah, no, I just, I, I, like, with the success, no, honestly, with the success of Slow Hands, um, I thought, well, if an 80s, what I think is like an 80s blues jam meets pop music can do well in on the charts of R&B and hip-hop, well, you know, and it did well. Like it stood, because it stood out, you know? 
I was thinking, well, maybe I can just take a few more chances. And that's why I was thinking, right, just let's just go and write the song. And the dressing up can, can be done afterwards. But the success of Slow Hands made me walk into the room this time and, and think about things differently. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Let's talk about how this record happened. You you finished the Flickr tour, 81 shows around the world. Oof. That was September 2018. You're done. What happened then? I went back to... Where did I go? I went straight back to London for a few weeks and then I went back to LA no I went back to London for like 10 days then went back to LA and I had to have sinus surgery sinus surgery yeah they just 
it was like there was like some sort of drip from in like I would get in, in sinus infections all the time and it would like drip onto my vocal cords and kind of burn them. So when I would lay down at night, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I would be barely able to talk because like all the drip would like dry out my throat um, over the course of the night. So <clears throat> that's not great for a singer. <laughs> um, so I've been talking about getting it done for a while, but then the schedule... Uh, got in the way so I had that done and then I was in kind of he was the doctor told me to kind of stay at home for like 10 days two weeks so that's what I did and I was just kind of bored and then I wasn't planning on writing for a while I was going to take a bit of time obviously I lasted like three weeks (laughs) uh, off the back of the tour sat down at the piano one day and started writing the verse and the, the chorus for put a little love on me and then I was just gone so the first thing you wrote for this album was put a little love on Yeah, me. I had those chords. Just when I sat down and played those chords and just kind of went... And then from there, that's where the album started. And once you, once you start, it's the best bug you've ever had. It's like you just, you just keep going and you can't stop. Next, day, next week I wrote No Judgment and it was just off. But you, you were just a few weeks off tour and, and, and recovering from sinus surgery. I shouldn't have been doing anything. Well, I mean, you, you didn't exactly take a vacation, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, to be honest, I'm not very like... Uh, actually, I went to a friend's wedding first week of October in Spain. Uh, that's why I went back to the UK after my tour. Then we, we met up in, in London and then we went to a wedding in Spain and took about a week off, basically, and then went back to the States and just started writing. <laughs> what, what do you do to recharge then? I'm not, I'm not like a sit-on-the-beach type holiday person. Also, a lot of my friends have like nine-to-five jobs, so it's not like I can be just like, come on, guys, do you want to just come for two weeks with me somewhere? And they're like, no, because we've got a job. I couldn't do that. Um, so I just kind of play a lot of golf. It's, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, I just go back to Ireland for a bit. Yeah, just kind of... General chilling stuff. I don't. I'm not like a on the beach type person. But you did record some of this record on the beach because you did record at Sanctuary Studios in the Bahamas. Yeah. Where I've read a little about this place. The live room overlooks a marina that's full of yachts. Yeah. And I believe it has one of three vending machines in the entire world that dispenses split bottles of Moet champagne. Yeah. Sounds. So this sounds like a place the Stones would have recorded in the seventies. <laughs> what, what was it like? I mean, it was the best ten days I've ever had. Um, yeah, um, a friend of mine lives in the Bahamas, so I was down there anyway. And um, f- um, all the you know all my writing partners came down for uh, ten days, and we and we just went into the studio. I mean, the studio it sounds ridiculous. It sounds baller, if you like. I mean, there's the they've like. The way they've built the building, you can always see boats in the marina. It's like they have, the windows are like kind of slatted, and you can see little, you can see yacht like two hundred foot yachts pulling in, and all sorts. It's a bit obnoxious, um, but we. Do you know what? Surprisingly, because we're not in LA or we're not in London, and people have lives to go back to at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like it didn't feel like we were. You know, if like if we're in LA, we go into the studio at eleven and we leave at six or seven, and that's just like it's more of like a, a job, like a working hours job. Um, whereas you know, because people have to bring kids to school or pick school, kids up from school or go home and make dinners or something like that. Um, whereas if we set a time to go away, and that's all we have to do is write songs. We don't even have to like we, if we don't want to sleep, we don't have to sleep. You know, it's kind of like. So we actually wrote a lot more than I thought we would. You see, uh, your songwriting collaborators who were down there with you, who, who came down for this trip? 
Uh, Julian Bonetta, John Ryan, who I always work with very closely. Uh, they're like my two of my best, best best friends, and we've known each other for a long time. And you've been working with them since the One Direction days. Yeah, we did. They did basically the last three or three One Day albums, effectively. Um, and we, yeah, we work really close together. And then there was Tobias Jesso Jr., who we wrote, me, Self and Julian wrote Slow Hands with. Um, so we'd worked well together before, and we wrote, we had we had written No Judgment before we went to the Bahamas. Um, so that went well. He's the greatest guy in the world. Teddy Geiger and Scott Harris, who are obviously super famous for all their um, for their uh, Sean Mendes stuff, who's also a good friend of mine. Um, and Explicit, who uh, is a famous Miami writer, um, wrote the famous hit "Work from Home" by. Fifth Harmony, but also a good friend of mine. So it was kind of like friends go on holiday and write songs at the same time. And everybody was down there at the same time. Yeah, and we would split off into groups. So like I would start So it was with- like a writing camp almost. Writing camp being sort of where, where different songwriting teams come in and, and write songs, but it was your writing camp as it yeah. were. Like yeah, my, were, my own writing camp. Yeah. And I would like... I have loads of ideas and concepts and stuff like that and stuff that I want to write about and would, all, would have like a verse or a chorus or something already. I prepped well before the trip and then I would like walk into the room with say Teddy and Scott and say right I've got this concept and there's this first and then they would kick it off and then I would go in and start another one with like me and Julian and then go back to them every like 20 minutes and like this is all happening at the same time this, you're I going mean, room to room song to song but that's what they were like we were talking about we all went for dinner in LA a few weeks ago and it was just like I was I was so busy in the Bahamas that like I think I got sick when I got when I came back because I was just running around the place from room to room with a massive studio and I was all over the place. Um, cause and you really have no chill. You 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 just went like song to song, not even yeah. a day to work on one song or no, one project. We like, like, and then there were some songs we hadn't finished. Like um, "Nice to Meet You" didn't have a bridge, and so me, Tobias, and um, Julian went into the studio one day and finished off. You know, I sung in something and then we wrote lyrics to it. Or No Judgment didn't have a verse or second verse or something. And we were doing that as well. So we were writing new songs and finishing old ones. Wait, did you even use the vending machine that spits out the champagne bottles? Yeah, we actually did. Yeah, they had these like gold coins. You know, like slot coins, and they were you could like have a, so many a day or whatever as part of your studio bill. <laughs> but it was good that the studio had like a hot tub in it. The, the studio had a hot tub oh, in it. it. It's a joke. It's like insane. I mean, it's to entice the the rich and famous down, you know, to use the studio. And wow, uh, so this was like prep for that SNL skit where you got to be in this the hot tub yeah. with, with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah, Scarlett weirdly enough wasn't in our at our writing session in the Bahamas, but <laughs> um, but yeah, the whole the studio was just a joke. But it was I just couldn't believe how much work we'd got done. We we would go down to the beach at sunset every day just for like 15 minutes just to be like we need to get out of this room and we ended up writing everywhere on the beach one day I mean <laughs> a few of us the song everywhere we wrote on the beach and I mean I think the opening verse even has a line that says you know it feels like the world's locked us in an island an island without waves as the waves are breaking and the and the tide's going out it's pretty the tide's coming in it's pretty cool but um yeah, it was just a great. We had a great. We just such a good time because we were just all that. We were there for one reason and one reason only was to write tunes and hang out and yeah, it was good fun. We had a great time. You mentioned nice to meet you. I want to start with one thing I'd, I'd heard you say previously that when you were working on this song with Tobias Jesso Jr., mm-hmm. you said I'd probably written fifty songs. Mm. 
Now, what, what does that mean? I always hear people say that, but does that mean you've written, like you finished 50 songs, you recorded 50 songs, you, you wrote 50 one-line verses, you know, like, yeah, one yeah. Bit, like bits of verses down, what? No, I've probably written 50 odd, like I'd say if I was to guess, I'd say 53 or four songs for the whole album written. Bear in mind, 60% of that is horrendous, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have days where it's just like, what are we even doing? Um, and you'll... You know, yeah, maybe like 50 verses and like 20 verses and choruses and then 50, like 30 full songs. And like, you know, there's kind of like, it's a bit of dribs and drabs, but you can see like if I've got a verse and a chorus, I know that I can pretty much match that on the other side. Can I, I use it like a symmetrical, like first verse, pre-chorus, take a break, start the next part. But um, kind of dribs and drabs, but... For, I would say like a good solid 40-odd songs, full songs. How does it happen for you? How many of those were ideas that you might have flashed on while you were touring or before you even started the songwriting process for this record? Things like No Judgment, I already had the riff. I wrote the riff in, I think it was in Chicago or something on tour, like six months previous to writing it. So I was in Chicago in like July or August and then... Yeah, July maybe. And, and you say you wrote the riff. Were you were you playing around on guitar on piano? Yeah, I was what? just sitting on the bus, just in the middle of the day, between meet and greet or something, and just and the show, and just like just start going. And before you know it, I've just got a really good riff and didn't really know what to do with it, and then tried to match it up to a concept that I thought sounded sexy. <laughs> Stay with me tonight You don't have to change when I'm around you So go ahead and say what's on your mind On your mind When you and me don't judge me You can get that from anyone else You don't have to put nothing You can just be yourself When you and me don't judge me We can get The song was a bit more kind of like John Mayerish kind of like neon that kind of continuum type era and then it developed because we put that groove underneath it kind of turned into a pop song without even subconsciously you know you're on tour in chicago it's in between a meet and greet mm. you're playing around you have this riff so do you get out your phone and record it what do you yeah. how do you capture it yeah i take it out the, out the phone and what i was doing last year a lot of the time was we would jam on stage as part of our sound check and just get the front of house guy to record like bits and then like record 10 minutes of it and then send email me it straight away so then i have like an actual recording of us sound checking did anything from those sound checks end up on the record um one nearly did yeah there was a song um there was a song that my, i ended up writing with tobias that ne that nearly did yeah i must try and find that but yeah like bits and pieces not much it was more like you're just trying to think of ideas to to be a catalyst to, for when you go into the studio because, you know, there's a lot of... If I just turn up in the studio on day one and don't know what I'm going to write about, it's, it's going to be a lot harder album to make, you know? You mentioned you were playing around with the riff for No Judgment and the, the song was coming together and it was a little more John Mayer-ish. Were, were, there, were there any artists, were there anything that you turned to for inspiration that you were listening to or thinking of when you are making this record? I, I know when you made Flickr, you... You talked a little bit about Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and whether the record sounded like that or not, that really stuck to that record, yeah, that yeah, idea. Yeah, no, that, that, and that definitely like helped me as I went as I went on. This one, I was kind of like, 
it was a bit of everything. Different songs for productions for different songs. So like in my head, Cross Your Mind was kind of like, you know, you, you use songs as references. You don't like go in and absolutely rob the place blind. But, you know, like Walking on a Dream by Empire of the Sun was kind of like a, a nice reference for Cross Your Mind because Cross Your Mind actually started as a piano ballad. And I actually have a video on my phone of me of me writing Cross Your Mind. And it was a, the demo was a piano ballad of singing me really singing slow and love the way you love me and it doesn't even cross your mind and then before but every time i played it on the piano i kept like tapping my foot like like faster and faster every time i played it and i was like no this needs to be this needs to be a jam and then it turned into effectively an empire of the sun meets fleetwood mac driving tune yeah, I mean, when you sing it now, I, I hear the way it is finished. I can't yeah. imagine it as a, a slow and sad piano funny, ballad because yeah, yeah. it's got that, it, it's got a groove. Mm. I mean, and, and a groove that could go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Uh, it could be an R&B song. It can be, yeah. what you know, I mean, it yeah. can be the, the song it ended up as. But this album has that strong pop bounce to it. I always try and do like pop with my twist on it. You know, I, I like I, I absolutely love pop music and kind of, but I don't want to sound like everyone else, if you know what I mean. So I try and like do my own little twist on it. And I mean, bringing Fleetwood Mac into a pop song is, you know, something to behold, <laughs> I suppose. And like, I try and do things differently. And I guess maybe it sounds like you're bringing that into the pop world now, into that machine-tooled, computerized mm. pop sound. Mm. But remember, Fleetwood Mac were the biggest pop band in the world in their moment. But that's that's the thing. Like, I remember Julian Bonetta saying to me, he got, like, I'm always trying to, like, find different older drum sounds when I when we play, when we put grooves on stuff. And Julian said to me, he goes, you know all those bands that you love, like the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, do you think that they were looking for old drums? He said they were looking for the drum sounds that were big at their time. They were writing songs around the grooves. And then from then on, I was like, you're so right. I was doing that for a while where I was like chasing down old 70s tunes and 80s tunes for a drum groove or a sound or a snare sound because I'm like so particular about stuff like that. But I just remembered I'm a 21st century pop act. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I have to play to it too, you know? Well, we were just talking about Cross Your Mind starting as a sad piano ballad. So let's talk about the sad piano ballad. <laughs> Put a little love on me. Mm -hmm. Which just the title sounds a bit like a Rod Stewart come on from the 70s or something. <laughs> but that's not what it is. No. Uh, so <laughs> tell me about how this song came about. Just at, at that sinus surgery time, just sat at the piano and just went, bum, 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 bum. To me, it sounded quite like Elton-y, the way I played it. Like the dancey, bum, 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 bum. And in my head, I was thinking like, what would Elton do now? So I even go like, go to minor chords and like at the end of the chorus and stuff like that. And, Literally in my head the whole time I was thinking, what would Elton do now? So I just started singing along and I had a concept for it that was like one of the first things that I wanted to write because I'd just gone through a breakup and there were certain things that I needed to say straight away and it, it, the first verse just flew out of my mouth and, and the pre. Um, and then I went in and when I came back, I was like, I'm going to leave this because I know someone that can help me with this. And it was Jamie Scott, who I'd written This Town and Too Much to Ask with and he'd written Story of My Life in One Direction and stuff like that and he's a very good friend of mine. And we were planning on going into the studio anyway. So I was like, Jamie will be really good at this. And he's an unbelievable piano player. And we went in and he loved it. And we just kept playing and playing and got to the end. And he played the first pass of the piano. 
and I went in and recorded a vocal, like did two takes of the vocal or something like that. I just loved the vocal and loved like the, the rawness of the song and didn't kind of was thinking, I don't really want to overproduce this. But then the longer it went on, I was like, no, I want to produce it now. And we gave it, a, you know, gave it a couple of shots in a diff with different producers and had it produced a few times. And I just kept coming back to the first pass of the piano and the first vocal. So what we hear now is literally just the f day one demo of when we finished the song, which is rare. But I mean, those productions could be amazing, and they were. But you just have a feeling deep down. So knowing that this is the first thing that you recorded or first thing you wrote, and knowing that you were just a few weeks off tour, now I, I think I understand a bit the, the, the little bit of the Easter egg, the lyric on this song that connects to a lyric from a song on Flickr. Okay. Uh, too much to ask, right? In that song, <laughs> you, your, your shadow is dancing on its own for yeah. the first time. In this one, shadows come up again, but now the lights are up and there are no shadows dancing. Yeah, no, I, I just thought it'd be nice to, to reflect it back to another song that myself and Jamie had written. And we were taught, he was going, like he was doing that. And I was like, oh, stop there for a sec. We can re we can actually push this back to put this back on too much to ask and literally do what you said you know in the la in the previous song the shadows were you know dancing without you for the first time and then and this song now there's no shadows dancing because right. there's no one to dance with right right <laughs> so yeah I just thought it was a cool like a cool little nod to the and the fans picked up in it straight away like they were like oh <laughs> this song has this a lyric that's just amazingly plain spoken mm -hmm. watch the sun coming up. Don't it feel fucked up? We're not in love. Mm -hmm. And then Put a Little Love on Me has a song that is also super plain spoken. Is it wrong? I still wonder where you are. Is it wrong? I still don't know my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, and then in Bend the Rules on this album, you, there, there's a moment where you're talking about, you know, when somebody makes you laugh, but you won't say what it's about. Mm -hmm. And I really felt that. That's yeah, a yeah, real yeah, moment. Yeah, you, yeah. We have those moments like where you're watching someone you love kind of spark to something else and yeah. you're wondering... What the hell is that about? What is that about? Yeah, but you don't want to be needy and uh, and say it out loud or. Well, you know? speak for yourself. But, uh, <laughs> but these kind of brutally honest lyrics yeah. are really shaping up to be a specialty of yours. Yeah, I hope uh, they're connecting um, with people because I don't know. Like I just those ballads, like they all come from that same sit down at the piano and just say. Sometimes, like when I'm writing a ballad, I'll actually speak instead of sing. And like nearly write a, like a, an out loud poem to music and and do what you've just done there. Just like, is it wrong that I still don't know my heart? And then try and sing a melody around that or whatever. Yeah, just, I, I don't know. I just, probably, like, hopefully get the, cre the, the credit for the nice lyrics at some, you know, at some point down the line. Hopefully, we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, you know, look, all of us have used music when we're sad. We've used it as a form of therapy. Songwriting sounds like it's a form of therapy for you. You sit down and you just talk the lyrics out. It seems like you should be paying the piano a therapist fee. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Have a little like collection box at the top of the piano and pay the fee every time I sit down. When those lyrics are that brutally plain spoken and honest, mm -hmm. do you ever worry about being that vulnerable? No, I don't. Um, at all, actually. I, I, I probably, when I was younger, used to be like, I wouldn't say stuff in interviews or I wouldn't put a lyric in a song because I didn't want people to be talking about it. But what I've realized is when you're vulnerable, people want to know who it's about for about two seconds. And the tabloids make a story out of it and the online websites make a story out of it for 10 minutes. And those stories only ever last a day. And then after that, people actually connect with the lyrics. Like, you've no idea what 
the songs are about, but you've made them a connection yourself, as you said. And that's what I love about what, what we do, because the flash in the pan story is over. And then I go on tour and I look at the crowd and I'll see three or four girls in the first 10 rows crying their eyes out. And that's the best part, because they don't know who the song's about. They've just connected it to something in their life. And I think the older I've got, the more I've realised the power of actually writing lyrics. And I think that's why I like to write ballads more, because you get that feeling out of people. Because when the, the lyrics, like I'm very good at like dressing a sad song up as a happy song. So, but if you're dancing at a concert, you don't necessarily listen to the lyrics. You're just singing out and you're screaming at the top of your lungs. But if you're listening to a ballad, you're a bit more like attentive and like listening and breaking the lyrics down in your head. And that's what makes you emotional, I suppose. But you know who these songs are about. You know what these songs are about. And, and you're going to go out and sing them every night. And that never... That, that's not a trigger for you? That never makes you feel vulnerable in that way? I mean, sometimes, you know, like, I like to, when I write a song, once I've, like, released it, I like to think of it as not, kind of not mine anymore. If Belongs you know what I mean. to the audience now. Now it's, now it's up to them to, de- to decide what they do with it. And, and those girls in the front row who are bawling their eyes out. That's what's for them. And it becomes their story as well. Yeah, exactly. Because if they can connect to it, like, too much to ask, or the shadows dancing line, or the line you said in Bend the Rules, like if they can do that, then that's what it's about because I've already, my therapy side of it came when I was shouting the lyrics at the piano. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's where that, I got my bit out of it. And obviously, if there is times when you're thinking back, like there's been times where like on the first tour where I like had a wobbly bottom lip, you know, because I was singing like Flicker or something and thinking, oh Jesus. You know, when you have a day where you're like, oh, I miss her. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then there's nothing more of a catalyst and standing in front of 15,000 people singing about your feelings. Um, but you do, and it happens every now and then. But yeah, I mean, after a while, it's like anything. Time is the healer, I suppose. And then by the time I get out on tour, I've kind of half healed. But it also sounds the way in which the audience can make this their own stories and put their own feelings into it makes it more of a shared experience than just your experience. Yeah, I mean, like I have fans. So, I mean, I'm not always like selfishly writing for myself. You know, you, you, you write lyrics, you write, like that's why I like the storyteller. The storytellers always have done well over the years in terms of the lyricists. Because people, the storyteller, that's why country music is so big. Because it's just storytelling. It's relatable storytelling that everyone can connect with. And all over the years, the greatest artists of all time have always been storytellers. Bruce Springsteen, he always says, I've made a full career, he said it in a show on Broadway, I've made a full career of writing about something I've never done, which is work in a factory or have a normal nine-to-five job. But he said, Because all he's ever been is a musician, right? He, yeah. He, he didn't really ever have the day job. No, but he connected, he wrote about factories and car factories and blah, 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 blah. His first band was called Steel Mill. Exactly. He didn't work in one. He never worked in one. And self-admittedly, but he connected with the people. Elton John, Simon and Garfunkel, Bob, the greatest of all time, Bob Dylan. Like, they're the storytellers and they've always done well. Taylor Swift, massive, tells stories in the most relatable, nostalgic way. Ed Sheeran, the same. When I was six years old, I broke my leg, Castle on the Hill, you know, like that. People just relate to that stuff. So to find that, yeah, that's why I do it, I think. Everywhere on the new album, really striking song. It's about a feeling of seeing someone you're trying to forget everywhere you go. I see your face in people I don't know. That, that's another lyric I heard that. And I, I felt that because I've had that experience. The music has some sense of desperation in it, but it's also really triumphant, 
right? And, yeah. and you were mentioning you could, you're good at writing a, a, ha- a, a set, <laughs> turning a sad song into a happy song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this kind of feels like one. Yeah, this is it, because it's four on the floor. It gives you that, I'm going to roll my windows down or stand in a stadium type feel. It's got and like, the guitars are soaring, almost like U2 style. Yeah, that's the idea. Stick a lot of reverb on the guitars and just lay into it and, and distort them and kind of leave it all out there. And that's why I do, you'll find that in a lot of my songs, the production in the verse is very simple. So like in everywhere, it's just going boom, ding, 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 ding. And then the, when the chorus hits, it's like, because you like to get into desperation in the verse and then have a triumphant chorus. And I tried to do that quite a lot. Um, everywhere, yeah, as you say, it's like literally I felt like when I'd broken up um, from my last relationship, I, felt, I honestly felt like I was seeing the person everywhere. Um for different reasons, but I was also literally seeing, I remember when Teddy said that when, I, when we were writing everywhere and Teddy said, I see your face and people I don't know. I was like, that is genius because that sums up this song. There's always a line that wraps the song up. Um, and yeah, you just cut, you feel like you just couldn't get away from it. Because like, when you break up someone, you're either one of two things. You want them back or you're trying to run from them, but you can't, when you see them everywhere you go, you can't help it. I don't think I'd ever really thought of Instagram as the everywhere you might see someone. Well, but, I, uh, but you've been there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It has to happen. It's, this, is a, this is 2020 now. <laughs> but, but I'm just used to, oh, that's somebody who has the same haircut or the same, same color still, hair. I still get it? that. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Again, I hadn't thought of it that way. I'm just thinking yeah, of yeah, it from yeah, my yeah, perspective, yeah, yeah, just yeah. seeing somebody you know, on the block who, who literally reminds you of that person who you, 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 know, you get that sudden... It's almost like a chemical reaction. Like you think you're actually seeing that person. Yeah, it's crazy. But you're not. Yeah, honestly, it's like, it's, it's, and I think that's just part of it, isn't it? Like you can't help it. You're not seeing them at all. It's like, I don't know. It's like fucking believing in the paranormal or something like that. Like, it's just like, they're not there, but you know what I mean? You just kind of, you keep seeing them everywhere you go. It's nuts. We were talking about this a little bit. People will want to know who these songs are about, mm-hmm. but they were asking the same questions about songs on Flickr. Mm-hmm. Does that bother you? Does it matter? No. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't like it. It doesn't matter at all because they'll connect. As I said earlier, they'll connect with the songs in their own way. Um, the flash in the pan story is what people are just asking the question for. And it won't really make a different difference in the long run. We were talking about the great songwriters. I mean, there's there's a whole parlor game of trying to guess which Bob Dylan song is about, about who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, which Stevie Nicks song is about Lindsay and about or about Mick or you know, like it's just kind of like that's... so another time honored tradition. Exactly, pop culture. That's what it is. And and now we're just we're in that period now where people are just going to ask and like, it's not like I'm writing songs to stab someone in the back or anything. It's just kind of like. It doesn't really matter who they're about, you know. I'm not. I'm not like going after. If I was going after someone, then yeah, people want to know who it is. But it's fine. I don't mind. It's all good. Right. But it's not a rap battle. We're not no, talking no. about. <laughs> <laughs> You're not coming after Eminem on this no, record. No, 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 no. Fifty's not getting it. Fifty Cent is not not coming after him. (Laughter) 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. The Nice to Meet You Tour mm-hmm. with Louis Capaldi starts in April. Yep. You'll be playing arenas, which is both a return and something new. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, how does it feel and how are you preparing? Well, we're, as you know, we're, we're in rehearsals right now. Um, I'm very excited about it. Um, playing an hour and a half show at one album last the last time was tough. Trying to stretch things out, add in covers and bits and pieces, which was great. Only get to do it once, but um, the idea of playing two albums now in arenas, going back to arenas like it was with the lads, um, putting on an arena show, designing that stage, designing the screen content, situating the band, the lighting, um, the, just that feeling of being wrapped in an arena and still trying to make an intimate show. Um, I love all of this. This is what it's about. This this touring aspect of what we do is the best part of what we do. What should fans expect? I mean, you talked about trying to make an intimate show in an arena. How do you go about doing that? Well, uh, set, set listing is a big one. You know, I'm lucky that I've got intimate songs and I've also got now I've got some mad ones, um, which as a blend will make for a, a nice show because you can have roller coaster moments, you know, start with a bang and then dip down for a little bit and come back up and dip down again. And, you know, you have to 
bring people on a journey across the hour and a half or the, whatever it is. I'm looking at probably an hour and 35 or something like that. I think we're at, um, which is great. You know, we're playing more show, more songs than an arena show would usually have. Plenty of playing 22 or three. Um, and having to like bringing the lighting down at certain points or, you know, I've got a B stage, so I'll be doing some ballads out on the B stage and making the arena feel smaller than it is because those arenas are huge. Should we expect any collaborative moments between you and Lewis? Or Lewis is on his own tour at the moment, so I need to to get in with him. But yeah, the idea would be to for me and Lewis to do something at some point. I mean, we can't sell the tour as myself and Lewis and then do do nothing about it. Um, but yeah, be, I mean, it's it's natural. Whatever happens, you know, we'll do a cover. We could do something we've written together. I don't know. You know, whatever that is, we'll have a, we'll have to have a moment. Yeah, Lewis, this is well known that that you. Came across his music early on. Yeah. You got in touch with him. You invited him to open a show of yours in Glasgow. That's right. So that makes me ask, what are you listening to these days? Who's your next discovery? Well, okay. Uh, there's, I mean, there's so much stuff going on at the moment. I've been listening to a lot of singer-songwriter-ish vibes at the moment. Um, there's a girl I'm bringing on my tour in the UK and Europe, girl called, an English girl called Maisie Peters. If you haven't heard of her in the States, you should wrap your ears around that because oh, her voice is beautiful. She's um real talent. She's coming on tour with me in the UK and Ireland. She'd be kind of my next... I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I discovered her, but she would be like, if I was to spread that to the world, I think Maisie Peters is my next thing. Um, But Lewis, yeah, just like my cousin has this knack of finding artists who have gone on to do unbelievable things when they've had like minimal views or listens or I remember he played me the tone like that tones and I song and uh, the one that went on to take over the world about two years ago because it was like he he was living in Australia at the time he was like this is going to be a smash worldwide and he was right or he found I remember he played he played me James Bay when James Bay first very entered I think he's seen him in a pub somewhere or wait and what does your cousin do what's what's works the- in sports He's a sports agent. He just has this... Amazingly not an A&R person. He show, and I've been trying to tell people, but he has this knack. He's a game with Lewis. He, found, he showed me Lewis. When Lewis had like 200 views on like this Vivo video of him singing a cappella in an old house. Um, and it was like the first thing that they'd brought, done for Lewis. And he played me this video. I was like, whoa. So I just wrote to Lewis. I was like, dude, I love this song. I love these songs. I love your voice. Because his voice is like quite captivating. You very rarely hear that much gravel with that much range. And just wrote to him and said, yeah, do you want to come and play if, if we're about? And he, we went met up for a few beers in Glasgow when we were there um, over a rugby game. And then he came up the next day and played a few tunes. And basically, I am the reason why he's so successful. <laughs> um, no, but he's, I mean... If you have that much talent, that much wit, and can write songs like that, I'm just happy that songs are back. Yeah, no, Lewis's success is quite amazing. And and you mentioned songs are back, but not every great songwriter, you hear so many of them, not every great songwriter goes on to that kind of monster success. No, and it's just a, a lot of the big tunes are just fluke. He said he was just sitting at home on playing the minimal piano that he can play. Like we, like most songwriters, like I can't play much piano, but I can play enough to write a tune on it. And Lewis said, he said, that's why he, that's why the, the part, the piano part on Someone You Loved is so simple. It's just going... Um, and he said he just sat there and just started singing. And you just have to f- cross your fingers every time you open your mouth to do a melody that it's a good one. And he bumped into it and had a concept. And now it's 
the biggest song on the planet. And sometimes those limitations are really useful. Like when you don't know how to do it, you discover either something new about your own approach to it or an approach to it in general. Oh, 100%. You can have, I mean, it, it proves it. You can, have, you can have days where you're just absolutely useless and nothing comes out. And then you have days of absolute magic. I find that like a lot of my better idea, like my better songs have come from like early in the process. I wrote Put A Little Love of Me and No Judgment in the first week and last album I wrote This Town and Too Much To Ask two days in a row. You know what I mean? It's just because your ideas are fresh. You knew what you were going to write about before you walked in the room. You had a piano part for that. You had a riff. You're well prepared. The longer it goes on and the, the ideas start to dwindle out, you know, the harder it becomes and you get writer's block more often. I'll keep your secret safe till the time we both find ourselves alone again Like I remember go, running into a corner and just calling my manager and be like, listen, cancel all the sessions we've got for the next two, three weeks because I need, I, I'm just running into a corner here and I feel like I'm just writing crap and I just need more time to just, you know, reconfigure everything, get my concepts back in line, you know, think about other angles for this heartbreak weather thing and then reconvene. Um, and that's what happened because the reconvene part came when I got to the Bahamas. So what did you do for those two weeks? When, you, when you'd run yourself into the corner, how did you get out? Played a lot of golf on my own. I find playing golf on my own is a great one because you get to listen to, like I'll put a speaker in the golf cart, listen to stuff that I'm into and then like I'll hear a line in a song and it'll spark an idea and then I'll write that down and then, you know, before you know it, I've got like, I'll show you here. This is in the last, I'm pulling up my notes on my phone. What one is this from? This one started on the 28th of February. And these are just stuff I just wrote right down. So you're jotting all this down in the golf cart while you're... <laughs> yeah, like, just kind of, like, this is, like... And this is right up until the present day, like... Uh, Howl at the Moon, House of Pain. A song about, like... I wrote down the word strange and the idea of, like, when you break up with someone and now they're just a stranger to you. When they were a stranger beforehand as well. You know, I just kind of write random stuff down... Random little stories that happened to me. Just right. I'm just look. I mean, that's yeah. That's quite a. There's quite a few things there. Yeah, but that stuff's happening all the time. I might see something on the street, or see a couple, and like the look of it, or you know, like just random little bits, and just write something down. It sounds quite creepy, but um, it helps, you know. When you were playing golf, where were you golfing? Well, I got well in LA. I kind of play on the public golf courses, and then here. No, come on. Yeah, you go out like, in the public golf course in so, LA. It's, it's hard. It's hard to play golf in LA. You have to be like you have to be well connected, and you have to know a member of some place or something. Something. You something. don't know people who can get you on a good yeah, golf course in LA. In LA, the hardest thing to do is come on, boys, let's go and play golf because you have to go and play with the CEO of this or that. Oh, okay. and, you know, it's a private club. Or um, so I just go to the public spots and nice and cheap and cheerful, and just, I just love getting out. I don't care where I play. Um, and then here in London, I'm a member of a place called Wentworth, which is beautiful. Um, and kind of just literally get in the golf cart on a sunny day, go around on my own, listen to a few tunes, make a few notes. And and does it have to be a sunny day or are you one of those crazy rain or shine golfers? I grew up in Ireland where it rains for about 360 days of the year. So I am now a fair weather golfer. I live in Los Angeles. It's 25 degrees every day or 75 every day. Thank you for the conversion from Celsius yeah, yeah, to Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's probably about 24, but <laughs> and 74. Um, but uh, 
yeah, just yeah, become a bit of a fair weather golfer these days. So yeah, when it's sunny, I do a lot of my, more of my golfing on tour because I'm you know don't have much to do until about four in the afternoon. Well, it's a, a healthy occupation, I suppose, yeah. compared to some of the other things where you could get up to on tour. Exactly. No, I've been trying to I'll be, uh, do less less boozing, if you like, because um, trying to sing for an hour and a half every night at, at the level that I have to be at for people to spend $100 for a ticket or whatever it is. You can't give value for money if you're drinking every night, so I'm not going to be doing that, and I'm going to be playing more golf. So you were saying that on the Flickr tour, you, you were breaking out some covers. You did quite a few classic rock covers. You yeah. did Springsteen, Tom Petty, The Eagles. Sometimes there were nods to Hometown Heroes. You were in Dublin. You did Thin Lizzy. That's right. Did you too? Yep. Did a Billy Joel song when you played Long Island. That's right, yep. So the tour's opening in Nashville. Are you, are you getting a Garth Brooks song ready? <laughs> no, but I, I, f- I was talking to Marin Morris. I have a song with Marin Morris from my last album, Seeing Blind. And the whole idea that, um, like, if she hasn't had her baby or if she's already had the baby and wants to, it's an open door for her to come into the arena and sing Seeing Blind with me if that's, that is baby permitting. Um, but uh, that would be fun if we could do. Because um, it's the first night of the tour. It's actually a shame that it's in Nashville because you want to announce the fans are waiting online to see what the set list is. But if it's like, if I'm in Nashville and I bring, want to bring loads of my country friends up on stage, I kind of broken that. Because you spent a fair amount of time in Nashville on the last record. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love Nashville, honestly. I thought about like getting a place there for a while because it's such a, like, it's exactly the way I, I like to live my life. It's so chilled out. People just write songs as like for fun. There's a, the people are just great down there. I love, I'm just really getting into country music. I've got a lot of friends in country music. Um, and and there's just no place I've been in the world where music is taken more seriously, but but not in an overly serious way. Like it, it's just, a, it, it's so much a part of the culture. Yeah, it's just, a, it's a passion thing. It's a cultural thing. Like, it's, I, like, I mean, it's called Music City. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's just their life. Like you go into a bar, a random pub in Nashville, you'd probably hear one of the best guitarist players you've ever heard. Like it's just you go it. for a sandwich, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, literally anywhere. You're in the airport. There's a guy playing, playing guitar, yeah. and he's unbelievable. He's not just like you know Joe Schmuck. He's like he's really good. Um, yeah, I I just love it there. In a way, I'm happy I'm opening the tour there, but it's also a city that makes me nervous. Like it's like playing the your bar home, is high. You're, yeah, you're, it's like playing your hometown show. Or when I play in London, I get nervous. When I play in LA, I get nervous. When I play in Dublin, I get nervous. When I play in Nashville, I get nervous because you know that there's very talented musicians in the crowd, even if you know they're not. So, since we're talking just a little bit about covers, I want to ask you one thing. Mm. I, I I heard you say recently that that when you were a kid, you're 13 years old, you're playing in pubs. And so you needed to know songs for an older crowd. Mm. So you'd be playing Dylan, mm. McCartney. <laughs> what was your Dylan song? God, I might have kind of fucking remember. I was. I play lots of McCartney. Play a lot, a lot of Beatles. Love playing Yesterday because people could sing along to it. Hey Jude was always a good one for a pub. And um, when I first started, like making my like. Uh, my own musical decisions because I was brought up on like the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and then at a certain point it was like oh actually I can go looking for music myself it was Thin Lizzy was a big one for me because like they were I was getting into my first bands in school and in you know being you know standing in my friend's garage playing tunes and 
I remember hearing the song Dancing in the Moonlight with Thin Lizzy and I remember thinking that is got a bit of everything. You know, I love Bruce Springsteen, so it's got the brass section. I love that the bass, the bass player is the lead singer. Uh, you know, I love the tone of his voice and how energetic some of the songs are, like Whiskey in the Jar and um, uh, The Boys Are Back in Town and th- like that summed up Ireland and... You know, I think the, the, another one was like the, the idea of a, like a, a, a black musician being, an, a, you know, a black powerful Irish musician was huge for me as well. I remember like, you know, always kind of relating black culture and music to to America um, and stuff like that. But having an Irish, you know, black frontman was unbelievable for for me. Uh, and and discovering music at that level was was amazing. So having the Thin Lizzy and McCartney and and people like that. It was just, it was great. I'm just so lucky that I was brought up in that type of music. And when you were growing up and, and starting to play at that time, was it music of the past that you were latching onto, or was there contemporary stuff that you were listening to as well? Yeah, there was all the old stuff, all the stuff that we've mentioned. And then there was like, um, my mother was a big fan of Shania Twain and Garth Brooks, so I had that kind of country thing already. The Irish music thing and the country music thing. So you, like, so you can do friends in low places yeah. in Nashville. Yeah, you can I do it. Friends. I loved Garth Brooks when I was a kid. He was like when I was a kid. He was playing like stadiums in Ireland. He was huge. Um, uh, yeah, and then I was like, well, else was I listening to at the time? Kind of went like when I got into my teenage years. Then I had like a more of a emo kind of punk rock kind of Green Day Fall Out Boy My Chemical Romance um, No Dashboard Confessional? No, none of that No uh, <laughs> you Just kind of, the, kind of what was in the charts at the time when, when punk had its kind of big moment there um, hopefully that comes back around it'll be brilliant um, uh, that kind of stuff uh, was going to a lot of gigs then I was like into the English rock scene which is like the Kooks the Fratellis the uh, Razorlight, uh, Arctic Monkeys, that very like north of England punk like Oasis. I remember going to watch a gig at Slane Castle in Ireland, and it was Kasabian opening up for the Prodigy, opening up for Oasis, and it was like the best night of my life. I think um, a lot of underage drinking happened that night. Drink responsibly, um, uh, you know what I mean. And that's the kind of stuff that was in massive in my teens um so when when people say when i've played nice to meet you now and people are like oh it sounds very like uh the arctic monkeys yes because i was a teenager once when they were big and that's the kind of stuff that i listen to and i naturally kind of play when i pick up a guitar and write a riff i was always very guitar driven like none of like i I love pop music and i remember like i auditioned for the x factor work like a, a Neo song or something. And I love the R&B era of like Chris Brown, Neo, Jordan Sparks, Kerry Hilson, Kanye when he was at his, in his prime. I loved all that stuff, but I always kind of kept going back to either like singer-songwriter vibes like because I was brought up in like Damien Rice as well. He was huge when I was a kid and that album, oh, changed my life. But I always found myself going back to like the rocky guitar-driven stuff. And when you hear my music now, it all starts to make sense, I think. It does indeed. And... Uh... No, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for flying all the way from from America. Oh, that was the easy part, to be honest. (laughs) It's walking around in London that was terrifying to me. (laughs) Why? Well, because, you know, I'm from New York, so the cars are coming from the wrong place. (laughs) And New York is a scary enough city as it is. You don't need the cars coming coming from the opposite direction. (laughs) But, uh, no, I appreciate you coming over and doing this because it's a big trek to make for an interview, so I appreciate it. No, complete pleasure. Thank you for being here. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. 
Inside the Studio is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.